This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, I'm Scott Soshman. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the Unfinished Business, sports business podcast, The Sportacast. That was so literal, so literal, and I will ask our guest to judge it, because sometimes I do this. I'm going to put the pressure on you, Clara Wu-Sai, and uh, as well, Allison Klayman. Uh, of unfinished business, the literally the name of the documentary uh, focusing on 25 years of the WNBA. Uh, after I do my intro, you see Eben takes it over and he, and he likes to give a little title of what hinting at what we are are talking about. And he went very literal there. So you know, Clara Allison, let me start with you, Allison, because you know you're a filmmaker. There's a lot of creativity there. How would you grade <laughs> Eben's approach to today's podcast? I love it. It incorporates our name, and I have to say that's why the name is so good. It really can apply to, I bet, everything we're about to talk about. So, where where'd the name come? I mean, I obviously, understand the the meaning of the name, but how did you guys decide on that? Was that early in the project? Was that late in the project? And please have please have somebody sing Joan Jet for me right now. <laughs> it, it will never get out of your head. Let's be honest. It, I'm singing it as I walk around the house every day, still from finishing the movie. Um, Honestly, the, the title came kind of late, which, which, you know, some of my films, I feel like, you know, the title from the beginning and some, it really comes at the very end. Um, this was the sort of untitled WNBA documentary for a very long time that we were working on it when uh, it truly was when we learned of Joan Jett's um, song that she wrote for the Liberty that it was called Unfinished Business and it just clicked. It felt like it spoke to the film on so many levels. Clara, you as judge of Eben's talent there opening the podcast? I think it was great. <laughs> oh, you guys are so nice. Uh, I, I like to go after. This is so nice. Great I will guests. tell you. Great guests. I, so I was down there at the uh, Tribeca Film Festival. It was nice to see, see everybody. Uh, but my question for you, Clara, is when, obviously we know when you bought the team, but when did the interest of the WNBA come? Uh, I know you, you have kids. Uh, it's always nice to see, uh, you see the male sports obviously dominate media and television, but when, when did you say, 
I'm interested in this as a property? The history is really like this. Um, you know, we heard in about 2018 that Jim Dolan was interested in selling it. Um, and we noticed that he'd stopped investing in the team and it had been moved a couple of different places um, during renovation. I think it was at Prudential Center. And then in the last few years, uh, the team was moved to Westchester uh, County Center. Now, that, that's covered in the film, but can you please explain to people how dreary, how sad, I will even say how pathetic that arena was as a home to athletes who are considered the best in the world? Yeah, I think it was just, I think as the movie says, and it's true, it just shows that you just stopped valuing the players and also the sport. Um, so when we saw that, you know... Adam Silver encouraged us to take a look at the team. And we thought at that point, you know, we have a men's team, so why not have a women's team? Uh, so we did that. And the first thing we did was move them to Barclays Center because, as you alluded to, these are the among the best female athletes in the world. And we're also in New York City, which is the basketball capital of the world and, you know, full of grit, culture, art, you know, fashion, right, at the confluence of, the, of all of that. And, and also the biggest media market in the world, right? So they really deserve to play on the world stage. So that's the first thing we did. Uh, and then I started having conversations, you know, as to, you know, how can we really uh, make changes and improve this league? And that's when, you know, you started to see that there were disparities, right? Uh, big disparities in uh, investment in the league. Uh, just everything from player facilities, player care, to media evaluation, investment in the stories, none of that was there. So that's when, uh, you know, I started to take an interest in, um, you know, in what we could do to really start investing in the league. Because, you know, I, I also knew that also then, you know, around the same time, there was starting to be this incredible interest, right, in women's sports. And so that, that's when I figured out that, okay, that there was an audience there. And if you actually invested in the league and invested in the stories, that we could really speak to this audience, build the audience, and eventually build a sustainable, uh, uh, sustainable franchise and a sustainable league. Do you think the, the naysayers out there understand that their retort to women's sports of Nobody cares. Nobody watches. Do they understand that it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy that if you look at the arc of men's sports, there was a time when Magic Johnson versus Larry Bird was on tape delay and the eyeballs weren't there. Everybody wants immediate results from the women's game, not giving it the same courtesy of an investment, a life cycle of growth. It just seems like there's an immediacy that is demanded from the women's game, and they just don't get that breath of give it time. And that when you look at the history, sorry, you invited us to jump, jump in. in but it's like, Go ahead, Allison, jump in. And when you look at the history, um, that's actually what the WNBA delivered at the beginning. It exceeded expectations. You know, they thought that they were going to have to you know, tape off seats at Madison Square Garden in the early, you know, games. They sold it out. The first few years really, truly exceeded expectations and kind of shifted the metrics so that um, it's not even like it started slow. It really started with a bang. And then it was like, I, I truly do believe that, you know, the, the people who were looking for it to fail had to like catch up to that and then start to judge it harshly based on standards that, um, truly had already been met or exceeded and they kind of had to like 
wait a year or two or three, and then they could really pile on and their, their words had effect. I thought there was an interesting line. I, I can't remember who said it in the, in the, in the movie, but that when you invest in a lot of people who invest in men's sports do that, knowing that there is a long term time horizon here and it could be decades before you see that money back before it's profitable or whatever. And that women's sports in America just don't seem to get that same kind of leeway or that same assumption about the time horizon of, of what is successful and what isn't. Exactly. That's why it's great to hear what Clara is saying. Yeah. I wanted to say that, you know, actually this is something that I got from watching winning time. When the very first episode, it was, I think 25 years, the, 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 the NBA had been ex- in an existence and Jerry bus was brought in because the league was on the verge of bankruptcy. Okay. Well, 25 years, we're 25 years in, right? So you really, it's like 25 versus 75, right? That's a kid and the grandfather. Hmm. That's me and Evan. (laughs) (laughs) I've been doing this a very long time. Dirty little secret. But there is a a great benefit to having someone who's sort of been around all the time. That's me. And then I can teach, you know, the the young whippersnapper, Evan, what I've seen and what I've heard. Uh, But dirty little secret, Clara, I will tell you there were a bunch of owners who kvetched about, and and I mean, you know, air quotes here, having to take a WNBA team. They felt like it was almost forced upon them because David Stern believed in it so much. David told them, you need to do this. And they reluctantly went into that. Where do you see the life cycle now? I know you want to be there. You want to make the investment. But that's a big difference when you have somebody who wants to do it, who has a vision, who sees the ROI down the road versus somebody who feels if they were forced to do it and to keep David happy, okay, we'll have this team. Right. And so now, you know, you there is an arc and you can see, well, first of all, we had a big $75 million capital raise. And we also have some new uh, deep pocketed um, owners who've come in, right? Uh, Mark Davis and, uh, and a few others. And, you know, they're investing because they see the potential. Now, clearly, you know, their our success is, is built on the backs of some of the original owners, right? Who've been there for 25 years and carried all the the losses on their backs. Um, but I think that the arc now is turning where people see that this is a very good business to be in. Uh, and, um, and, and that's a much, yes, it's, it's a much different mindset and outlook than, than, than how it started. Well, Claire, what's next, do you think? I mean, there's a new CBA, there's a, the, the investments that you're talking about. W- when you look at, at whatever the next thing needs to be, is it more commercial partnerships? Is it a m- more media? Whatever it is, what do you think is kind of the next step? Just say yes and yes and yes and yes. Yes, 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 yes and yes. But the main thing is a new media deal, right? Um, and I was actually, I'm sure you all saw the news yesterday. The MLS just signed a $2.5 billion deal with Apple streaming. And it's, it's, it's a 10-year deal, which is basically valuing at a $250 million a year. And with very similar viewership, actually. I think the viewership is not off by that much. Maybe 350000 versus us is also around the sim- similar amount. So our media deal ex- with ESPN expires in 2025. So, you know, we're now in this position where we're, uh, we have a lot more benchmarks and we're a, little, a lot more sophisticated in how we uh, analyze our viewership and the value that we bring. So that's actually the, the, 
that's going to really move. That's really going to help the sustainability of this league is to really get a, a much better media rights deal. Because as we know, women's sports has been undervalued by the media. It feels like every couple of weeks we're hearing a women's hockey game, that, that Olympic game that does better than the, volleyball, the Stanley softball, Cup games, yeah. college volleyball, college softball. It does feel like there is a lot of at least viewership momentum behind a lot of different women's sports right now. But you, you care to... Uh, and I know Kathy Engelbert will be a little bit nervous about hearing expectations of owners, but I know MLS owners had expectations. They made them clear to Don Garber. And from what we're hearing, some owners in MLS are not happy about sort of the limiting of local viewership going completely streaming. Um, your, your thoughts on expectations for what the new media deal might bring? I think to be successful, we need to be available um, Everywhere, linear media, digital media. I think we have to be available wherever we need to meet the viewer where they are. So I think we'll be, I think there's going to be a combination of deals uh, through, again, you know, traditional broadcast channels, but also a lot more streaming. And, and I think as we, as well, I don't know if the audience knows, but you know, the, the WNBA audience is very young, very digi- digitally savvy. They use a lot of social media. They want to see little bits and clips. And so I think it's, it's really up to us, right? How we package and market the product. People will want to watch the full game, but people will also want to watch um, little bits. And it can be from a 30 second clip to like a five minute clip, right? So I think we need to develop how we present it uh, and it needs to be available widely on all sorts of channels. Uh, Eben knows this very well, and I always bring it up on the podcast. I consider my 12, soon to be 13-year-old, my focus group of one. I don't even call him my son. He's my focus group of one. And I say owners shouldn't really care whether the kids particularly are watching full games or they're watching highlights on TikTok or the touch point is the Xbox and the video games. Get them in, get the eyeballs, get the attention, and then figure out a way to monetize those eyeballs. Like There's many, many ways you can do that. It doesn't have to be the traditional, I'm sitting for an entire game, right? Right. And watching this, now you're coming from, from a, a directing st- standpoint. You need protagonists, antagonists, great. Evan and I came away with the same feeling on this in Unfinished Business. One, you have a wonderful protagonist in Teresa Weatherspoon. And I knew that when she was a player. You could see it on the court. But what a wonderful character. But, right, Michaela Oyewede unbelievable character. D.D. Richards, unbelievable character. And I'd be willing to bet that if you ask casual sports fans any of their names, you'd be at less than 5% recognizability. But for you as a filmmaker, you get these characters. Do you light up and say, oh man, I've got something to create here? A hundred percent. And I feel like the vision for this film from very early on it just made so much sense that you needed both, that both was going to be the way to really, I mean, in a way it's like my personal entry point as well, which is always great. Cause you know, as a filmmaker, it's great to be personally invested in your storytelling. But for me, I, as a kid, you know, looked up to teaspoon to Rebecca Lobo, you know, to that generation that really captured my imagination. Um, but I think that to only look at the early years, it's like kind of putting it in a, in a glass case and looking historically. And what's so exciting about the New York Liberty as a team that has these legendary players is the legendary, uh, you know, original franchise is that 
the team today is young and filled with incredible personalities. And it's a real opportunity to say people, you know, there are lots of people who don't even know them because as soon as they're exposed, they're going to fall in love. They're going to be invested. And that's why the team and its story is really future looking. It's even more than just about being the present. And, you know, the film covers the 2021 season, which I feel like was actually, you know, pretty dramatic. If I hope you agree after seeing the film, but you know, it's really forward looking and that's what I love. Um, well, that's I the unfinished part, The right? idea that people can, exactly. And the unfinished part works for that level of, you know, just kind of chasing a championship and, you know, looking to be, um, you know, not just a championship franchise, but a dynasty franchise. But I think, um, you know, the unfinished business of the WNBA and its growth and the growth potential, like I see it all really in this positive way. Like this conversation you guys are having is so awesome. And it's like what I want people to be thinking about and engaging with as they would leave the theater or finish watching this film, you know, uh, uh, we looked into all these questions of, you know, of the business of sports. And I feel like this, that is a really big part of the conversation of what is going on with the WNBA and where it needs to go. But I think then I realized as I, I interviewed everyone, I got all this research about, you know, broadcast rights versus, you know, um, the, you know, uh, endorsements, you know, what was the attendance? Like, you know, I'm trying to answer all these questions. And then in the end, it really just comes down to storytelling. And I think that really is where this documentary gets to come in. And so that is why, you know, it's great to hear your takeaways. Like, look at these amazing characters. When you watch your, you know, how can you not then want to follow them and go watch the games? You know, all I'm hearing right now is Allison Clayman, prospective Sportico subscriber. That's what I'm hearing right now. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I know a guy. That's all I'm going to say. I know a guy. Call Scott after the, uh, after the podcast. <laughs> it, it's funny hearing, Allison, hearing you, you, you say that. It, it seems like exactly the, the encapsulation of, of what we're talking about, about other ways of, of exposing people to the WNBA besides live games, right? It's, it's other forms of media. And it feels like, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, because you're the expert here, it feels like sports documentaries are having kind of a moment right now between the, the Michael Jordan documentary, obviously the success of, of 30 for 30, Lance Armstrong, what OJ. the F1 accomplished, OJ. It really feels as though there is a really big thirst in the market right now for compelling documentary stories about different parts of the sports ecosystem. Yeah. And I think to be honest, that there needs to be more excitement around uh, women's sports stories as well. And I think that this is also kind of a personal mission for me and for the whole team that this, this film can be one to sort of bust down the doors because I think the same kinds of biases that you talk about, about um, when it comes to, you know, WNBA versus MNBA stories, let's say like, you know, at a time when everyone's really thirsty, I think there's a, there's a, you know, there can be this idea like, Oh, there, there can only be one, you know, like what's, what's going to be the one women's sports doc this year, which of course will be ours, but I'm going to say it's not going to be the one it's going to be the first of many. And I want it to really show people like you love this. We'll, you know, get a load of the next one and the next one and the next one. Cause there's so much story here. There's absolutely no reason why these stories wouldn't be as compelling. And I have to say, it's not just docs. I'm loving the scripted. I really enjoyed winning time. 
Um, a good friend of mine, Jeremiah Zagar, directed Hustle. I don't know if you guys saw that out on Netflix this week, but um, you know, I just think that there's, you know, I just like that's just my bias. I love basketball stories. Uh, so I'm sorry, I'm okay. My, my my focus group of one hogs the Netflix account for um, but Stranger Things. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, I, no, I don't get a chance. Yeah, I don't get control of that. But well, we're chatting with <laughs> Allison Clayman, director, producer of Unfinished Business, the 25 years of WNBA, executive produced by Clara Wusai. Clara, we have an adage in journalism. We say show, don't tell. Right. It's nice to say things, but you got to show people. Sometimes they need to see it right there. Our friends at the Sports Innovation Lab, Angela Ruggiero, gave you the data that backed up the notion that there is ROI, return on investment in women's sports. You, of course, operate the New York Liberty. Can you give us a financial snapshot of where the Liberty were, where they are, where they're going? And then on 30,000 foot level, what about the WNBA as a whole? Well, we are investing in the Liberty. Um, and what's, you know, ultimately, you're going to see the return in increased uh, franchise values, right? But right now on an operating level, we're investing. And I think, you know, the first thing besides moving them, the team back to Barclays, we built a state of the art, a state of the art locker room. Uh, and we invested in a player care specialist in a nutritionist. I mean, you know, these are things that we need to do because the player, many of the players play year round, they come back, they don't get enough proper rest and recovery, know when they can actually, uh, after they come back from overseas, when are they ready to take the floor again? I mean, we're, definitely in investment mode and also investing in the marketing, in the storytelling, in, in a movie such as this one, right? So uh, the picture is truly an investment. Investment means different things to different teams and to different owners. Um, but in our case, you know, we firmly believe that in order for the league to be successful, we need to have a very successful team in New York City. So... Can, can I just say something that illustrates what I have seen of what Clara is talking about? Um, so two nights ago at the Tribeca premiere with this amazing red carpet where the entire team, uh, you know, arrived and participated that support staff that Clara's talking about, they, when I showed up and the Liberty had already arrived and they were in line at the red carpet, I saw all of that support staff that she's talking about as well. People that I think of as like the Liberty family from being embedded and getting to film over a year, they were all there too. And they walked the red carpet and they had a blast and they saw themselves in the film. And I just thought this is like an intangible, I don't know from business stuff and what that means for ROI, but I feel like for culture, that really was one of the most special things about our premiere and made me so happy. Um, you can really feel that the investment means something, um, is, is really meant to have an impact on the culture and it's really great. So uh, another thing that you guys did, Clara, you were flying your team on, on charters. It got a lot of attention last year. The team was fined $500,000 for it because it's a violation of the CBA. I One think a lot of people, you, 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 you doth invest too much. <laughs> a lot of people probably saw those headlines and thought, wow, it seems crazy that we're punishing this team for treating its players uh, nicer than, than maybe other teams are treating its players. I'm curious how much you can say about what, what went into those decisions. Was that something you knew was, was, was going to maybe draw some ire from, from other teams or the league and you felt it was the right thing to do Anyway, kind of what, what's the what's the backstory there? I think it was just sort of a moment of enough is enough. Um, that particular situation, I think the team was on the way to Indiana, and it, we just had a really challenging 
situation where there were just delay after delay on the tarmac, which I think led to the flight cancellation and them having to go home, coming back the next morning, arriving just in time for the game. And, you know, and of course we lost. And so it it just, you know, we just felt that, that, uh, you know, that given the, you know, the, the length of the players and, you know, well, how tall they are and, and what we expect of them. I mean, they're, they're professionals that um, it became a situation of, of, of player health, right? And how can you expect them to play at that highest level when they don't have adequate rest and recovery? Um, so at that moment, um, you know, we just made that decision. Um, and that, that was just the respect that, you know, the way that we wanted to treat our athletes. So where does that stand on a league-wide basis to, to right. solving the problem? Everybody should be treated that way. But again, I'm sure there's some pushback in some teams that say we can't, we don't have the resources to do it. Well, correct. And by the way, we didn't mean to be reckless, right? I mean, because I think, you know, as we said all along, I mean, the key that, you know, the, the needle that we're trying to thread is to have a very sustainable business, but at the same time, um, showing the players that we value, right? Their athleticism, their commitment, their places, role models, right? And so how do you do both, right? How do you show the respect for what they deserve, uh, but at the same time, build a sustainable model, which can be a model for other professional women's sports leagues? That's what we're trying to thread. So we were trying to be reckless with the charter, right? Um, the whole idea is to get a sponsor, uh, perhaps from the airline or you know any other business really, that might be willing to sponsor the charter flights. And, you know, I mean, it'll be baby steps. Like it may not be the whole season, but it could be when there are back-to-back games or perhaps during the playoffs. Um, you know, I think there can be selective um, uses of this. And, and we're, again, we need to be sustainable, but we're also challenging sponsors out there. We had Christine Lilly, the the legendary women's soccer player. I was on, just going to go earlier, there. Evan. I was just going to go to that on story. an earlier version it. of this podcast, and she said that when they were flying around the country, all the women would be in the middle seat on on all of the airplanes, and you could see down the line just a little red hoodie, the top of the red hoodie, down the middle seat of the entire airplane, just because that was the the way that the U.S. women's national team, one of the best, if not the, the best, cheapest seat, right, soccer yeah, cheapest team in, seat. in the world, the cheapest seat, the way that they flew. I think that that travel is a good example of the kind of things that most fans don't think about when they when they think about the inequality of, of a lot of professional sports. They think about the way that men in the NBA are paid as opposed to, to women in the WNBA. But there's so much, and I think your documentary did a really good job of this, of highlighting kind of all the other ways in which this inequality makes things so difficult for the teams, the players, the staff, et cetera. What are you hearing from sponsors, Clara? Because you, you mentioned sort of support coming from different areas. We saw the other day Gatorade pulled out of its deal with the NHL saying that we're going to devote our marketing might to women's sports, in part to women's sports. I think with the sort of the social component of it all and socially driven agendas and how vocal a lot of WMDA players and teams were, that there is very strong and even growing stronger uh, support from corporate America for female athletes. What have you been hearing from the sponsors you have now and perhaps with talks about prospective sponsors? Yeah, well, you can just tell because I, you know, the, from at the league level, sponsorships have, are on the rise. And there's, uh, there's a number of companies, I think AT&T, Deloitte, Nike, Google, US Bank. I mean, there are a number of new, uh, I think we call them change maker sponsors, right? And so they've come on board. And even at the Liberty level, we have a number of new sponsors as well, right? SeatGeek, Xbox, Coinbase. And um, I think that they're just cottoning on to the fact that 
the audience really, you know, they vote, they want to support companies that support women's sports. I mean, that that's the young uh, consumer of today, right? They're looking to support uh, companies that care about the things they do. And I think uh, companies are starting to realize that. Does that apply to, to, to social activism and political activism as well? I, I think another thing I think about the WNBA is that relative to almost any other professional league in the U.S., it has been and the, the players and ownership have been, I think, so much more progressive and, and willing to dive into those issues, whereas a lot of other sports are not. Well, one of the reasons or something we talked about, you know, from the very beginning that really struck me, uh, I mean, when you it's all connected, it's about who the players are, but it's also about their circumstance. They are getting paid in a way that they live life like everyone else (laughs) like their concerns are people's concerns because they don't live separately like you know you know multi-millionaire players who then can really insulate themselves um so it's not just like an identity issue it's i think to me it's also an economic a socioeconomic reality like i think that's why you see uh, you know, I, I also don't think it's because like women are fill in the blank. I think that's way too essentialist. I think um, I think part of it is also you have to get a little more specific. You know, it's a majority black women's league. And that's something that Swin Cash talks about in the film and many players and commentators talk about in the film. Um, but to me, it's just like their concerns are very well matched to the average consumer because their lives aren't that far apart from them. Well, every now and then, sport and society, it does bust out from beyond sort of the confined space of the court. And we certainly have that now with Brittany Griner. And it has certainly, you know, called attention to the fact that, wait, why was she in Russia in the first place? And maybe people didn't realize that they have to go. Women's basketball players must go play year round. And Clara, you you certainly touched on the fact that it's not good for the bodies, you know, that, that the rest isn't there. But what... Where where do we stand? We've seen the league sort of get together in support of Brittany, Brittany Griner. I see on social media it's been X number of days since. Uh, can, can you give us an update on sort of what's the level of participation from team level, league level in the Brittany Griner detention situation? I think there's a lot of concern. Um, and many players are, you know, that could be me or just, you know, like it, it, it I think there's, um, I think there's a lot of concern. And, and actually, I you know, you probably noticed that the Celtics wore um, Brittany Griner shirts um, before one of their games. Um, and that helped to call, I think, a lot of national attention uh, to the matter. Um, I think, you know, yeah, I think a, a lot of work is being done you know, at the at the at the league level to try to, um, you know, to, you know, uh, to, to secure her release. But I also just saw that it was, um, you know, just extended for for um, 18 more days. Um, so I don't have any, I don't have any late breaking. I'm not on the negotiating table. No, no, no worries. Are, are there conversations? I mean, obviously the, 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 main thrust is, is getting Brittany back. Are there conversations at the league level about that? This is a sad kind of byproduct of the fact that we, we still are not compensating women enough that they don't feel the need to go and play for, for, for bigger dollars in pick your, your European country in, in the offseason. I'm curious if that is part of the conversation around Brittany, or is it really just right now, let's get her home safely and then maybe discuss the kind of the, the ancillary well, uh, issues here? I think it's let's get her home safely, number one. Uh, and then, you know, the, the league has marketing agreements now. Uh, 
And there are a lot of players who get paid to stay during their um, off season and market the league. And um, in fact, I think the movie also suggests that Benija and Didi uh, didn't go overseas and they stayed in market and were visible all over New York. And that's, there are going to be increasing opportunities for that. But, you know, the other thing is that like the women play 36 games, right? They don't like men play 80, 82, right? So it's a much different, it's a shorter season. Um, just structurally, right? It's, 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 um, it's that way. So, I mean, ideally, uh, the women, some of the women who are, who are well-known are going to get their own sponsorship deals, right? Their own shoe deals, which will allow them to not have to do that. But for others, it's so lucrative. It's just it, I mean, the amount that, that, that some of those overseas teams are able to pay and willing to is kind of hard to, to give up. For people who don't know, actually, what what is the reason why a team in Russia is is willing to pay so much more? Is is it because of there's the fan base is that much bigger over there? Is it because there's media deals? What's the economics there? I just think that if it's a you know it's it's something that they do, it could be something that they're willing to take losses on. You know, the the, the other thing is that you know they don't have you know an NBA. Uh, you know, so so there is a lot more. You know, f- there's a lot of fans there who come pack the and to come to watch the WNBA games um but you know there are numerous reasons and and by the way they all don't pay the same amount I don't think you know a, a, a team in Spain is paying what Russia pays um but you know there's just different economic motivators and we see tailwinds though I mean one of your players Sabrina Ionescu came in with much fanfare and backing from Nike so more and more players perhaps can get to that point that's what we were talking about hey when I've got stuff to do I make a little list can you give me the top thing on your list if I said to you Allison Clayman and you Clara Wusai what's on your unfinished business list as it pertains to filmmaking and the WNBA in this passion project Fire, do you want to go? <laughs> well, on my unfinished business is to uh, make the league sustainable, to do our part to um, fill the stands, right? We want to fill Barclays the way that they filled MSG in the early days. I mean, that's my unfinished business. And the players say they want to win a championship, but, you know, I want a dynasty. <laughs> so uh, we're talking multiple games. <laughs> I, hope I love no when, the, when the owner <laughs> has a stated goal of not happy with one championship. <laughs> you got to love that. The players are going to roll their eyes and say, oh, my Lord. <laughs> one is not enough. <laughs> how about what? Yeah. That's how you build, you know, you, come on. We, you buy a team to bring championships to your community. That's that's what we're doing it for. Our community, our community of Brooklyn, uh, It. You know, what it's going to do the community is just it can't be understated um and um and that's why that's why we do this all right allison do you get a lot of attention you, you know obviously you, you know you feel something for the players now in the league or just sports in general any unfinished business in this genre oh yeah i mean well i think you know unfinished business was produced independently so right now we are you know in uh conversation with uh, interested distributors. So I think, you know, having the release of this film that can match uh, or exceed that epic premiere that we had, which was truly special, you know, for any Tribeca film and for a documentary to be at that, you know, the largest venue, you know, completely filled, have people, you know, from all walks of life, that, that theater was filled with sports people, doc people, um, you know, just generally interested New Yorkers and the reaction was the same, you know? So it's like, this film is going to 
convert people, if not just open their eyes to what is possible to enjoy from the WNBA. And so I think for the film to do that, it needs to have, you know, a fantastic release. So that's, that's what's up next. All right. So if Clara can have her dream of multiple championships, I can see right there on, you know, on the charts, uh, one and two unfinished business and Top Gun Maverick right there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> you said for, if you were there and saw the panel afterwards, which included, you know, Benajah, Sabrina, Teaspoon, Crystal Robinson, Sue Wicks, I felt like everyone got to see what great material we had to work with. I was like, see how hard it was to cut it down to 90 minutes. You know, there's a lot more entertainment here for we, I, I tell my reporters all the time you should be struggling with what to leave out of your stories not what it's to very put true in. it's very very true that is the process of of doing this work for sure and hopefully though and i feel good about i mean i i feel really good about the film and i feel like there's so much more there um and you know always you watch and 90 minutes isn't enough and in this case there actually is a next very clear next step for an audience member which is to tune into a game, to follow some of the players, you know, to go to a game. I think um, I had so many people. I mean, I saw lots of Liberty fans at the, at the screening, but I had so many people who were not, they were coming as film people or as documentary people and everybody was pumped. Everybody was pumped and wanted more. And I think, you know, that's not just the filmmaking. I mean, that's the product. So I'm excited about it. Yeah. And so the fact that we, did we were given a 900 seat auditorium and it was full um and nike sponsored our after party it was just you know it was it was it it was it was it was so wonderful to see the momentum and just everybody's engagement um with the film um just everybody was just just really engaged and incredibly supportive and um you know the the reaction was just really um amazing and more than you know what i even expected and hoped all right Yay. the film is unfinished business that is allison clayman and clara wusai thank you very much for joining us ladies thank you thank you all right Evan. i gotta tell you you know i was there at the tribeca premiere i know you've seen the, the film and like the biggest takeaway i had and and i think it was the same as you is that there are so many compelling characters that we and we're in this that we were not really familiar with. So we can only imagine about sort of the general view in public. And you just wonder, what does it take for someone like Didi and the nails and the fashion and the hair and the spunky personality to break through and become mainstream? I thought Allison said a really, th- a really interesting thing right at the end there about how the, the logical next step when you see this film is that, oh, I, maybe I want to watch a Liberty yeah, game or maybe I want to go to a Liberty game in this next upcoming season. It, it makes me think that I know these, I know these documentaries are obviously tremendously expensive, but it makes me think that maybe all sports teams should do some kind of smaller, lighter version of this after every year, right? That is like a recap in some ways of the last year and, and gets fans, both fans who, who really love the team and are, and, and are invested already and fans who maybe aren't that aware of what the local team is doing, how compelling their people People are as kind of like a precursor to the season. I think it's a really interesting, and, and and this goes back to the conversation that we all had about about sports documentaries right now. And 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 there's tons of them out there that have had the success. But yeah, it makes me realize that you're right. There's so many compelling stories out there, and 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 things like this give a nudge to people uh, that that maybe aren't aware of them. 
Yeah, perhaps like appearing on Dancing with the Stars doesn't have to be the only vehicle for like you know somebody <laughs> to break through to uh, you, you know lots lots of eyeballs. All right, he is Edmund Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Matt Whitehurst is our producer. Thanks so much, Matt. Our digital media editor is Cora Veltman. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Media Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.